At the 2019 World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, Queensland's chief entrepreneur, Leanne Kemp, co-chaired two forums on circular economy and advanced manufacturing. In this IFE Grand Challenge lecture, recorded on Friday 3rd of May 2019, Leanne shares her views and the World Economic Forum's predictions on the industries of the future, the important sustainability challenges and choices we face, and the skill sets we will need for success. Recently reappointed as Queensland's Chief Entrepreneur, Leanne is also the founder and CEO of emerging technology enterprise Everledger. She's a globally recognised leader in the technology and startup sectors, is part of the World Economic Forum's Blockchain Council, and also is on the World Trade Board's Sustainable Trade Action Group. We hope you enjoy this IFE Grand Challenge lecture. And then there's 2015, another really important year for the world. Everledger was born in the heart of London in April 2015. After being involved in the diamond industry uh, since 2007 and being uh, a software engineer since 1995, I knew that there were a number of increasing concerns around trade. And I do remember being a lot younger than today and watching Leonardo DiCaprio's Blood Diamond movie and sat there and could not believe that this still happens in the world. And certainly it's never happened in my world because in Australia we have zero tolerance. Zero tolerance for child labour and some of the atrocities that occur in countries which of course is not God's country upon which we stand. The global imperatives that existed within the diamond industry hit the headlines of most of the movie scenes, whether it be Blood Diamonds itself or even the more recent movie about Hatton Garden's heist where fraud and crime occurred, 200 million in jewellery, diamonds, watches and cash were stolen. And it was these global imperatives that actually drove me to do something about it. What was the change I wanted to see in the world and how could I take the very best of the patchwork quilt of experiences in my life and actually purpose all the new technologies together to be able to solve for a problem. And wind forward today, we're a startup. We have operations in five countries around the world with 80 staff, and I'm still operating the country today, the company today, as, I, uh, as I'm Queensland's chief entrepreneur at the same time. And whilst that was a vision, which I'm about to show you, we've transcended into the truth of time. As Everledger stands today, we have two and a half million diamonds on the platform. We're able to wind forward to the end of trade, the end of next year, and we know with contractual certainty we'll represent 10% of the global trade of diamonds on technologies that are still hidden within white papers. AI and machine vision and the combination with smart contracts and blockchain enables us to build an entirely new platform of trust. We began with the major certificate houses in America, India, Israel and Antwerp where they grade and certify the diamonds. Now not only do we capture the four C's but 40 metadata points of that diamond. And we take all of that information and create a fingerprint, a digital twin of the diamond and put that into the blockchain. We now know where diamonds are being sold and resold online in marketplaces such as Amazon and eBay and work with insurance companies on fraudulent claims with banks so they can finance the diamond pipeline more efficiently 
And, of course, we've extracted that information so that consumers now have a full conscious mind decision about where the diamond comes from. For the first time in human history, we can look back upon an industry that's been shamed. And this vision has transformed not only the hearts and minds of some of the emerging countries in the world, but the CEO of Tiffany stood forward in the last six months and said that transparency and provenance and where things come from is no longer a global imperative. It's his personal imperative. I'm Queensland's chief entrepreneur. Can you believe that? I can't some days. What a gig. You know, the Queensland government is extraordinary. I, as I travel around the world and I meet our entrepreneurs and our startups, it's very clear to me that we're driven by a deep sense of purpose, a real grittiness about the challenges that we face not only in our lives but actually in the state. If we're not actually striving towards finding where the next water source is, as soon as we start to come out of a drought, what happens? We get a flood. And then if it's not a flood, we have a cyclone. If it's not a cyclone, then of course we're challenging ourselves around really what is the purpose that we stand here for today. As Queensland's chief entrepreneur, our office was established to help curate and support and create an ecosystems of startups and scale-ups for Queensland, to help support the many programs that Advanced Queensland is putting in place. But we've really started to dig a bit deeper this year to understand what is the purpose of being Queensland's chief entrepreneur and beyond that, what's the purpose and what does it mean to be an entrepreneur from Queensland? My office is supported by Craig O'Kane. Of course, we Brexited him from the British consulate, a Brisbane exit, which is fantastic. And I'm joined with him on the journey to ensure that Queensland's chief entrepreneur goes beyond just a lighthouse of innovation and maybe inspiration. How do we encourage international investment, scale up our global aspirations, bring everything in the Brains Trust out to rural, regional and remote areas and showcase innovation and the dynamic spirit of Queensland. I've been pretty vocal about a number of things and I'll continue to be. And one of it is about a deliberate intent. A deliberate intent with corporates to engage with our startups and scale-ups. A deliberate intent for government to become an exemplar of buying from our startups and our small to medium-sized enterprises and to establish initiatives that will connect Queensland businesses not only across the state but across the globe. We can actually do this, and we already are. Ecosystems are created somewhere that become a part of our everyday life. And a part of the ecosystem that we've built here does not really have the biodiversity that's needed to be able to survive the tenure of the next chief entrepreneur, or even unashamedly, maybe my 19-year-old daughter, who might actually believe that being an entrepreneur is the career path of choice. So it's people in this room today and, of course, those that are connected digitally online that will help to turn around the ecosystem to bring strength, to align it to global imperatives and to ensure that actually there's a fairness and a diversity across our state. I held a series of meetings with the leading firms and businesses uh, across Queensland and I'll talk to one or two of the initiatives that align to the global imperatives that I ran at Davos and what we're doing here in Queensland to actually deliver meaningful value and align to values. For three years, I've been at the World Economic Forum in Davos, 
And this year, I led the Global Battery Alliance, the Futures Council for Blockchain, and I was the co-chair for the Circular Economy and Advanced Manufacturing. And I'll speak a little bit about this now. The global imperatives that came out of Davos and what does this mean? I'm very pleased to be able to facilitate the establishment of a range of initiatives here in Queensland after uh, I left Davos earlier this year. And this year there were four key takeaways out of those 140 themes. The first theme was that it was focused on the impact of globalisation and a world that is increasingly infiltrated with machines and robotics and devices. The ethics of artificial intelligence drove a debate more broadly about democracy and social freedoms. And technology is bound incredibly close to the concept of trust. And businesses were urged to tackle this issue head on. Now, not everyone agreed with the ethics of AI and I was fortunate enough to be in the room when some of these conversations were being attended to. You know, the Vice President of China, Wang Xiang, now I probably have that wrong, so hopefully he's not watching because that would be an embarrassing next meeting, uh, fought back in his speech saying that it is imperative to respect the national sovereignty, of course he did, and refrain from seeking uh, technological homogeneity. His response made it clear that China has no plans to back away from its desire to use citizen data, despite receiving criticism from the World Economic Forum and the CEOs in the room. And he added, we need to respect the independent choices and models of technology management and the public policies made by countries. And it is their right to participate in a global technology governance system in equals. The other big, large, shocking conversation, of course, was really around a need for a global approach to technology governance. Now, I stood last year in, uh, in New York as a part of the United Nations General Assembly and was fortunate enough to be on a panel with Al Gore talking about the climate and environment agenda. And it was a part of that agenda that we were talking about the global commons, quality of the air and the oceans and plastics, deforestation in the Amazon, and it occurred to me as a part of that conversation that we've not yet coped with or defined the digital global commons, the World Wide Web, the fundamental economic instrument of our time. The fact that before today, most of the innovations that have occurred in the world are proprietary based. These innovations, of course, have been kept and housed and commercialised by companies like Microsoft and Apple. But with technologies such as blockchain that are open source and enabled and are driven by a collective mind, we finally have come to a point in time where we are giving birth to people's technologies. Technologies that enable an intermediary to rethink the value and the values they're creating in the world. So a part of the work stream at the World Economic Forum was to consider heavily what is the construct of a digital global commons? How do we start to unravel and align and have discussions around the ethics of AI and where does the responsibility of us as innovators, of governments, of universities and institutions, where does that line lie? Where does the collective mind run to? Governments and private sectors should cooperate when it comes to technology. Another large headline in a global imperative that was reached out by the World Economic Forum. And technology, as I said before, trust has eroded whether that be on the backdrop of Facebook 
or whether that be in supply chains like the diamond industry, this is a heightened topic of discussion and considered one of the global imperatives of 2019 into 2020. Two work streams I led at the World Economic Forum and one of course being the circular economy and the other is advanced manufacturing. And I'll talk a little about the circular economy. It occurs to me that having a waste agenda is no longer good enough. Here we go. I was incredibly uh, fortunate to be able to engage across a series of conversations and one that struck me uh, most deeply, of course, was in the presentation with Jacinta Ardern, who made it very vocal that no longer should countries or sections of the world be measured on GDP alone, that we need to address the social and societal well-being of the nation as well as the economic well-being of the nation. And it ran incredibly true to me, particularly around the circular economy. As we start to tackle the issues that are very much on our shores, literally in our oceans, or actually even within our own backyard and our bins, how can we bring a number of constructs into the future? We're not structured for the circular economy. We're not structured in government for the circular economy. We're not structured in innovation for the circular economy. Innovation is the air we breathe. It permeates through cracks in walls and, and sometimes it smells. And when we think about innovation, particularly in corporate environments or even in government, it's siloed. It's sitting in a vertical construct. But innovation should be threaded horizontally. And if we begin to think and understand about the economics of the circular economy, it cannot sit within one department or with one ministerial office. Because to truly understand the economics, the potential and the implementation of circular, it would have to have a wide array of engagement across environment, manufacturing, trade, future of work, as well as innovation. So one of the big questions, how are we going to achieve the greatest potential, create the next versioning of our economic modelling if we are not thinking about the structural foundations to support future industries and next generation technologies. When we talk about global imperatives, it wasn't necessarily about here is the vision for what tomorrow brings. In fact, most of the imperatives that were discussed were challenges where the leaders had no answers or had no solutions. So I'd like to say that I was here just to promote the exciting nature of the horizon two of the world, but actually we walk away from Davos with more questions than answers. We walk away with nearly tipping all the toys out of our toy box and then rebuilding what we thought was actually a structural foundation into a whole different way of being able to build a structure for tomorrow. There are exciting times for manufacturing. I'll talk into this in a little bit more detail, which was really one of the heightened parts of the conversation across Davos. A plethora of recent technology developments creates radically new opportunities for how we develop, manufacture and deliver products globally. And the headlines that proclaim that robots are coming and jobs will be automated and digitization is revolutionizing production, many managers are excited, baffled or even both, but actually job seekers are incredibly worried. Putting people first may seem quite surprising, but it's actually something we're doing here in Queensland. After all, we've not been told that robots and digitization will complete processes more efficiently or more effectively than humans. Um, that machine learning is training machines to train machines and that artificial intelligence is even entering into company boardrooms. 
artificial intelligence is making decisions in company boardrooms. I even heard that in one country, it's making decisions about parole sentences and convictions. You can understand why one of the global imperatives was the discussion about the ethics of AI. Now, to debunk the myth about robots, of course, robots are automating processes. They're not automating jobs. And what's more, we think that these technology developments are good and they're not bad for workers. Increased productivity frees up human resources to do tasks where humans are more superior than machines. Look, I recall the very first time that I used an Excel spreadsheet and uh, I took a calculator to check that it was right. <laughs> and then I also remember that the spreadsheets came on board to check if my calculator was right. So there was this paradigm shift that was happening in my mind when I was quite young. And when we think about skills and jobs and work for the future, it's very clear that humans will become the checksum of the next generation technology. And you saw in the map of innovation that I just showed, there was a time upon which Facebook shut down the bot because humans said something's not right here. And we've seen this time and time again in technologies. So humans will become part of the checksum of technologies of the future. There is a work stream that's being undertaken in WEF around this exact topic. So when we started talking about the technology developments uh, within robots and robotics, one part of the work that we're embarking upon this year, and we have about 50 robots across the state in Queensland that are currently in situ in assembly manufacturers in southeast Queensland and of course even within autonomous farming in Cairns and even more recently we were in Emerald a week ago. And parts of the work in policy is to understand how man and machine can work within the same environment. Yet our occupational health and safety and the policies around industrial, um, uh, industrial trade has not changed for a number of years. So there's parts of policy and parts of those decisions are starting to be worked on now, this year, to enable these technologies to live harmoniously. People, not technology, will shape the future of production and how people choose to use technologies will decide on how manufacturing involves. For this reason, uh, human learning will remain more important than machine learning in the future of manufacturing. And that should be a reassuring thought for producers and employees across the state. In the World Economic Forum, there is a report, it's available online, the readiness for the future of production. And Australia was identified as a high potential country and economy in the world and that it is likely to be in the best position to leapfrog other economies. And in the new production paradigm of the fourth industrial revolution, we are poised for greatness. Micro factories, onshoring, and all of these support mechanisms will go towards a new economic model around circular economy. Australia is thought to be well-placed to adopt emerging technologies, given we do not have a large current production base here onshore, yet we possess the resources and other capabilities in our very own backyard. And this will give us the ability to leapfrog other countries and take a more dominant position globally. Nonetheless, we have to optimise the burgeoning opportunities and sensibly, we must be prepared to make astute investments towards a sustainable future. 
part of the global imperatives was to ensure how could we align to uh, the fourth industrial revolution technologies. And there have been four countries that have stood up in the world. Tokyo in Japan, Beijing in China, the state of Maharaja in India. I got that right. So if they were watching, they'd be very proud. Um, at the opening of the Tokyo office for the World Economic Forum in 2018, the founder and executive chairman of WEF, Klaus Schwab, said the fourth industrial revolution is determining and forcing the shape not only of our industries but our economies. And circular economy, again, I continue to rant, it is a global imperative, but it is also shaping societies. The why and the how. New technologies such as AI, precision medicine, autonomous vehicles and many others offer great potential to lift human mankind to an entirely new level of well-being. And yet there is an urgent need to determine the ethical rules and the policies around these technologies. Now it's for this reason the World Economic Forum has created centres of excellence, building uh, an engagement with technologies, just as I've mentioned, and enabling businesses, government and civil society to work together to ensure a human-centred future for innovation. A human-centred future for innovation. There's an unprecedented opportunity to drive this initiative across Queensland and we have an incredible amount of potential and support to do so. By way of an example, Japan... Uh, has managed with the WEF a collaboration with the Minister for Economy, Trade and Industry, Pacific, Australian Pacific Initiative, and it's focusing on autonomous mobility, data protection, precision medicine, and bringing together leading businesses, startups, and civil society. Academia and international organisations all work closely together on the emerging technology stack, and in its inaugural industry partnerships, corporates are deliberately engaged. Hitachi, Hariba, Mitsubishi, Salesforce, Sompo Holdings and Suntory are all deliberately engaged. The example in India, an entirely new city has been born in Maharaja and the initial focus was on drones where the centre is to collaborate with government to undertake drone mapping in the agricultural centre, AI and machine learning, with the first project to expand access to data and open data and blockchain and distributed ledger technologies using smart contracts to increase productivity and transparency while reducing inefficiency. There are four lighthouses across the world and these lighthouses are model factories that exist that are addressing some of the not only emerging technologies but the global imperatives within advanced manufacturing. And given that we are one of the potential high-performing countries in the world and given that we have some of the deepest source of resources here in Queensland, we are able to think about how can we align to these global imperatives. The lighthouses are model factories that are leading the way in advanced manufacturing, adopting technological advanced processes and have enormous disruptive uh, impacts on value chains, industries and business models. And the primary mission for the World Economic Forum is to improve the state of the world as a whole. The lighthouses are willing to publicly share information regarding projects and to assist each other in the adoption of advanced manufacturing processes. We have the opportunity in Queensland to create a factory, a lighthouse. I think we could do something a bit better. The ability to be able to bring together a lighthouse environment where many factories, micro factories are able to be born 
out of the foundations that have been built, and I know QUT is heavily involved as a part of the ARM project. We also have Arab that's sitting here and across the regions where we are able to create an innovation platform for lighthouses across the state. And it is this vision that we are taking beyond the global imperatives of the World Economic Forum and applying it here across Queensland. Another large global imperative, and I'll talk to the circular economy, is to establish an emerging economic model. And it will provide for new and innovative business strategies and economic policy and will substantially reduce or eliminate waste through recycling, repurposing and reusing. And this is where advanced manufacturing comes together with circular. We have to design for disassembly. When I manufacture this, it's a race to the bottom. I want it cheaper, better, faster, and if I can't get it in China, let's move it to India. If not India, it could go to Thailand. But these devices are not able to be easily disassembled. E-waste is one of the largest problems in our state that actually we don't talk about. It's the white elephant in the room. But there are economic models that can actually construct. Who would have thought that Apple or Dell or Microsoft could be the largest supplier to the diamond and jewellery industry? Metals and minerals that could actually go into jewellery and create an entirely new economic model. And that is now being proven. A part of the work that we did with Dell Computing was to extract metals and minerals and turn it into the jewellery supply chain. Two strange bedfellows that are now happily married in a whole new construct of economic value. Circular economy seeks to create repeat value for materials to maximise their use. Rather than maintaining a linear system of consumerism that regulates products and packaging to landfill after single use, circular economy is the heart of business model change, which will transform industries, local government and the waste sector. And Queensland is the first state of choice in this field. With the Circular Economy Labs opening here in February, under the support for the Minister of Environment, Leanne Enoch, Minister for Environment, we managed to open the Circular Economy Labs in February. And I flew back from London on Monday and as a part of the opening, we have 28 companies worth over $140 billion in trade engaged with deliberate corporate involvement, with four thematics as a part of the circular economy. Local initiatives can certainly be driven by individuals as has just been shown. However, they're likely to have much greater impact if we're able to shape and drive with smaller groups, typically five to 15 people who come together with us on a sustained basis to form deep and trusted relationships with each other. And small groups can challenge each other and hold one another accountable and provide support and reinforcement for each other when the participants inevitably run into obstacles, which we will in circular economy. There's a strong alliance with business philosophy and my role as the Queensland Chief Entrepreneur is to activate opportunities for collaboration that benefit many. The construction industry is a prime industry to embrace circular economy and as a part of the Queensland Government's commitment to sustainable futures, we organise for Al Gore, the US Vice President, to be here in June to run a change of leadership on climate and we're running a hackathon on the back of it. 25 industry partners, which is now 28. Five commercial constructs are coming out of the labs in three months. 
with commercial uptake agreements being committed to Coca-Cola, Fisher & Paykel, Brisbane Airport Corporation and the entire precinct of the Brisbane Airport is in the labs. We've married them with proud Queensland startups, Blocktex, which of course I think has also come out of uh, QUT, which is a startup that has been using technology created under this roof in this university to deal with the problem in waste in textiles. We did this with only $150,000 of investment from the government. I reckon we could do a lot more with less because we've anchored against the global imperatives. We've brought it into our own backyard and we've brought together the coalition of the willing. I talk about deliberate intent and I challenge each of you in the room to become involved and walk through the door of the precinct at any time, maybe just not after eight o'clock at night, um, as well as engagement with others in the startup community across Queensland. We do have an incredible amount of corporate accelerators uh, that exist um, and also, of course, within universities. I'm enthusiastic about what is happening in our CRCs, a part of the work over the last three years. One of the largest questions I ask myself, what could be potentially one of the future's most conflicted supply chains in the world that we've not yet seen? We know Blood Diamonds as a movie, we've seen that before and we've also probably seen a Liam Neeson movie about um, people trafficking. But what's probably the most conflicted by 2030? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. It's batteries. It's the supply chain of batteries. Lithium, cobalt, these things. In my laptop, I had three of them a year. I dropped them, I put them in the drawer, I forget about them. Autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles. There's not really a device that actually is probably within our hands or in our home that doesn't have some form of battery. Yet when we understand the supply chain of battery, particularly around cobalt that's being extracted from the Congo DRC, and are there other ways to think about this supply chain? Uh, the federal government has supported a CRC in battery technologies and the World Economic Forum have four large uh, imperatives internally within those 140 projects we spoke about before. One of them is the Global Battery Alliance, uh, which looks at the supply chain traceability, it looks at how do we think about an invention for batteries. Queensland has a mine in far north Queensland for vanadium. We have the ability to rethink lithium ion in a way where vanadium can become an important construct to the new battery world. And we are leading the way, Australia as a whole, with Queensland being involved as a part of the research centre for batteries. There's so much more to be said and yet there's no more time to say it. But I hope that a part of what has just been shared with you is not just another glossy piece of paper that you might read on the back of a pamphlet. It's actually a part of the lived experience that runs across the World Economic Forum. And out of those 140 thematics, a number of things that ring true. The imperatives are that not everyone agrees with the ethics of AI, yet ethics and trust are the most important yet commoditized, invisible value structure of our time. What are you going to do about it? Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from the IFE. To stay up to date with our podcasts, 
please subscribe to our channel. You can also visit us on the web at qut.edu.au forward slash IFE. And we're also on Twitter at IFE underscore QUT and also on Instagram at IFE.QUT. We really hope you enjoyed this IFE podcast.